Welcome to Fresh Perspective, a podcast presented by Recycling Today. Fresh Perspective features young professionals in the scrap and recycling industry, offering insights from the next generation of industry leaders. Guests share their stories of what led them to the scrap industry and new ideas on industry trends. Tune in to hear stories from scrap processors, traders, operators, and more who are starting to lead in this space. Fresh Perspective is beginning an ongoing dialogue with future executives of the industry. Hi everyone, my name is Megan Smalley and I'm with the Recycling Today Media Group. Welcome to the Fresh Perspective podcast. Today I'm joined by Logan Miller, who is a Regional Recycling Manager at Rumkey Waste and Recycling for its operations in Central Ohio. The company is headquartered near Cincinnati and is a privately owned and operated company that provides residential and commercial waste and recycling services. So thanks for coming on the show today, Logan. How are things going? Things are going well. Thank you for having me. Now, to start things off here, tell me a little bit about yourself. What do you currently do for Rumpke Waste and Recycling and what is your job like on a day-to-day basis? Well, here at Rumpke in Central Ohio, I am tasked with bringing in material and processing it in a safe and compliant manner. Um, Our site is actually, uh, we have a very regional approach and we service over 36 other counties in addition to Franklin County. So in in general, we're bringing in large amounts of recycling and we're we're processing that on a day-to-day basis. I work directly with our plant manager and our maintenance manager um, to make sure everything is up to date and we're planning repairs, handling any day-to-day issues that we might come up against. Um, but in general, trying to push people in the right direction, maintain leadership, working directly with the managers to ensure that all of our employee needs are taken care of and we're, we're processing equipment in a timely manner and getting those products off, out, off of our property and into our end users' hands. Awesome. Now, what initially led you to the waste and recycling industry? Did you ever work outside the industry prior to joining the industry? And what kind of got you interested in the first place? Yeah, this is kind of an interesting story. So um, I I went to DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. And my freshman year, I signed up for a winter term course called Zero Waste and Ethics of Stuff. Um, I thought it sounded like an interesting class to dive into for one month. Um, that was all that we did in January. So I lived with two professors and 10 students in one house, and we attempted to live zero waste. Very interesting course. Um, we, we dove in reading literature about the waste industry, thinking about redesigning waste, how, how the industry works, where there's problems. But it wasn't just about reading and writing and talking about it. Um, we went out and got to see what what goes on. So uh, we went to uh, Covanta in Indianapolis. We went to Republic's Murph in Indianapolis. And then we went to a landfill. It was very eye-opening. I grew up going to the landfill, taking loads of construction debris for my for my dad. Um, so I, I was familiar with the landfill side, but the recycling side interests me. Um, but again, this was a winter term class. It was, a, it was a fun class, learned a lot, became more conscious of my waste and my consumer behavior. And I took this with me from that class and I got involved in the sustainability leadership program on campus. So after that winter term course, 
I took my interest and got involved on campus with the sustainability leadership program. Um, with that program, I, I learned all about waste, worked with students that were passionate about legislation and getting things passed. Um, I was involved in a group called Green Greeks where we were working with fraternities and sororities on diversion efforts and recycling every aluminum can and every water bottle. Um, we performed waste audits, you know, kind of kind of bizarre things where we were pushing pushing our our peers to to recycle. Um, we I worked on a project where we eliminated the to go boxes from the local cafeteria. You know, we we had the university invest in reusable containers, and uh, by doing so, we reduced to go boxes by 245,000 a year. Um, so some some fun hands-on experience in making change. You know, I, I studied environmental geoscience and I always had a lens of being involved in sustainability and thinking critically about natural resources. And as I, as I became a senior and was looking for a career, um, I dabbled with environmental remediation. So groundwater remediation, um, looking for carcinogens and the groundwater looking I was very interested in the flow of water and as I was a senior I was recommending to my friends that were you know kind of saying I don't know what to do I remember telling them you should look at the waste industry there's a lot of jobs I, I remember it being interesting it was fast-paced from that class and I've ended up taking my own advice after multiple interviews that I just wasn't feeling good about um, I ended up calling the local waste hauler in my hometown and uh, went out on a whim and explained that I was, I was young, I was passionate, I wanted to uh, make a difference, I care about, about recycling and natural resources, and does your company need any sort of that? Um, and they said, absolutely. Um, so I, I started working for the Waste Away group, and that was my entryway into the industry. That definitely is unique. I mean, you don't hear about many colleges or universities bringing up the waste and recycling industry. So I guess backtracking a little bit, tell me more about that. The class you took there over the winter semester, you know, did your professor work in the waste industry? You know, is this something that the university offered for a long time? So that course is your waste and ethics of stuff was ran by two professors. One was in philosophy and the other was in environmental studies. She has her PhD in hydrogeology. Just two passionate professors that wanted to spark students' interest on waste. And, you know, there was 10 students that signed up for the class. DePaul has these winter terms that are very unique. No other classes are occurring during January except for this one class that students elect. And um, so it was a five days a week course. It was pretty intense where, you know, wake up in the morning and we're working with the professors, reading all about waste, writing papers, our reflections on it, really critically thinking about it. And it, it you know, it's a liberal arts school. So you're forced to think critically about every situation and it's a very small course. And so you don't really get to just not be involved because the professor, they're holding you accountable. They want you to actually be interested in it. Um, was this a long-term thing? No, this was offered once during my four years. You know, I developed a lot of friendships in that class. 
um, got, to, got to meet a lot of good people. But after that January class um, that, you know, everyone went back to their studies. So it was, I don't believe it was offered again, but it, it was, that's what, that's what sparked my interest. Um, having to read two or three books about, the, about trash and recycling and um, ones, twos, threes, fours, fives, and sevens, and the complications with food waste and having engineers design products to be recyclable or not. Um, and talking about, you know, the first R should be redesign um, or refuse, you know, not, not necessarily reduce, reuse, recycle, but how can we refuse something? How can we use our consumer power? But then, you know, after that course, I, I said, how can I, how can I dig deeper? And they said, the sustainability leadership program is where you need to go. Um, and so that's where I jumped in. Um, and the Green Greeks and the Zero Waste Group is where we eliminated the to-go boxes. Um, I found a lot of interest in waste. So I remember calling the, the waste hauler for the university and scheduling a waste audit. We actually had a front load truck come out, grab all of the recycling from the different receptacles, and we had them dump it on a tarp in the middle of campus. And um, we use it as a tool to, you know, Students would be walking by thinking, what the heck are they doing digging through trash? That's a huge trash truck. There's all this trash on the ground. And they'd walk up and we'd explain what we were doing. Hey, we're doing a waste audit. We're trying to get to university. You know, we want the students to be recycling correctly. There's a challenge with bags. Um, there's a challenge with styrofoam. There's a challenge, you know, just talking about these things at a, you know, we weren't getting paid to do this, right? This is all passion driven. I, I was starting to see things in a lens of being conscious and thinking critically about everything that I'm touching. How can I, how can I have a smaller carbon footprint? Um, if you catch my drift, I was, uh, I was thinking in the realm of how can I, how can I live on this earth with the least amount of impact? That's where waste came in. That's where, you know, thinking about food comes in, I guess, to answer your question, is that, you know, is that available all the time? No, it is not. But the sustainability leadership program at DePaul University was um, instrumental in pushing me to learn and ask questions um, and challenge the existing infrastructure and the existing um, the, the existing ways that we did it. And once I got in the industry, I, I called that sustainability leadership program and said, hey, we need to, I want you guys to think more about this there's a you know you guys could be separating your bottles and cans and bailing it yourself and selling it and you could have students thinking about those things um you know you could create revenue doing that and and fund programs at the university um but you know by the time i left i think there was over 100 students in the program and it really was one of the first educational programs in the nation to be pushing sustainability leadership well, it's great to hear that more and more programs are growing like that and just to see what DePaul University is doing. So thanks for sharing. Now, you mentioned that your first foray into the industry was working for Waste Away Group, which is local for you. So tell me a little bit about your first year or so in the industry working for Waste Away Group. Was it everything that you expected it would be? Well, the Waste Away Group uh, welcomed me and did not necessarily know the path I would take. Um, they put me on a 12 week plan to learn all of their businesses 
and to be on a truck, um, you know, I came in at one, two, three o'clock in the morning to get on a truck. Um, I learned all their different businesses that they do. I worked with the sales team. I worked with the recycling facility. I got to be there for a little bit during the 12 weeks. I went to the landfill, did waste audits, rode with, you know, sat in dispatch, heard how they talked to the truckers. Um, and then, and then they told me, you're going to need to come back in 12 weeks and tell us what you learned. Um, so I came back and said, here's what I see. Here's, here's what I envision. I envision myself being in the sales group. Um, from there, I envision myself working at, in the operation side um, for recycling. And then I envision myself as a part of the executive team. And um, they said, well, let's get started. I jumped into the sales side. I was looking for truckloads of cardboard during the 2018 market. If you remember, I think OCC was at 25 bucks a ton. Extremely hard time to be new in the industry, not knowing a lot about fiber and hunting for OCC and trying to sell truckloads to, you know, offering rebates that are quite laughable these days. Um, but I was out there learning, you know, I was learning what industries create fiber. Um, I was learning all about different byproducts that come out of manufacturing. I'm from Elkhart, Indiana. So there's a lot of manufacturing in that area. Um, so looking at fiberglass or gypsum, how do I get drywall recycled? So I studied all about gypsum. Um, but I had a mentor there that was very monumental. Um, Kyle Woolsey, um, he was he was top notch. Um, I really enjoyed working with him. He, he taught how he taught me how to be an aggressive leader and to question everything, um, to think about all sides of the business, um, tackling challenges such as gypsum drywall. Um, I, I worked with farmers in the area to figure out if there was enough sulfur in the drywall. Um, I was basically developing business models on how do we, how do we grind it? Um, how can we spread it on fields and um, how much can we sell it for? So it really sparked an entrepreneurial nerve for me. Um, and, and from there, um, they put me on a project at the MRF um, to figure out what exactly uh, that MRF was, was missing, um, learn all about who's, who's in what role. And I did that for three to six months, came back to them with another report on how, how I think things should be ran. Lo and behold, they said, you're staying on the project, you're going to be at the MRF and you're going to be selling commodities. So I learned to work with brokers. I developed mill relationships um, on all sides. And once you, once you start doing that, you really have to, you have to have your fingers in, in the operation. You got to know where quality is at. Um, so I started talking to the guys that are running the plant and working directly on contamination and you know adding headcount to reduce contamination again during extremely tough markets. Um, you know the value of a ton of recycling was south of 30 bucks a ton. So tough tough times to be convincing a CFO to add labor, but we did it, and I became the plant manager at some point during that time. I, I that's where I really took on a role of being a manager and learning the ins and outs of working with people, um, what it takes to lead by example. Um, I had an operation that was a MRF. Um, we, we brought in sorted office paper, 
shredded and baled it. And then we also had an electronic waste business. Um, so it was a very fast paced environment and I was selling the commodities. I was hiring people. Um, it was fast paced. And um, I, like I said, I developed relationships with mills and that's actually where I met Jeff, Jeff Schneider um, with Pratt Industries. Um, I didn't, I didn't sell them too much of my fiber, which is an ongoing joke, but um, a, a year or two later, Jeff, Jeff Schneider reached out um, that he had an opportunity that, that might be worth looking at for me. And uh, here we are sitting at Rumpke. That's awesome. And what was it like transitioning from Waste Away Group to Rumpke? So um, I've, I've been at Rumpke for 11 months now, so not quite a year. Um, but the onboarding process, you know, I, I needed to relocate. So I um, sold my house and bought a house in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, so about four hours away from my hometown. And um, once I got to Ohio and got my feet planted, um, you know, this is a this is a company that is uh, structured a little differently. Um, I'm, I'm not involved in the sales. Um, I'm very much dealing with the operation um, and, and in past in past jobs, I was I was dealing with a lot more. Um, I have the ability now to focus uh, my energy on the the group of people that I'm managing um, and how do we strategically push in the right direction um, and hit parameters. So it was a it was a good experience. Um, you know, last fall was a very strong time for Rumpke. Uh, we were processing a lot of a lot of recycling, and prices were they're working in our favor. So, you know, to, to come in during a time that was not entirely stressful, I guess you should say, um, was, it was a blessing. Um, it, it allowed me to, to take in as much as I could in the organization, went to an OSHA 30 hour course, had time to spend at corporate, um, really, really learn our, our people and our structure and our company. Um, and I started, started giving tours, which allowed me to really learn, um, the plant. Um, I, I, I spent a lot of time on the floor, the first two, three months talking to employees, um, getting hands-on with the problems, uh, chasing problems and maintenance, kind of, kind of learning the nuts and bolts of this, of this plant. And then, um, we announced that we were going to move forward with the large project of, of the new Rumkey Recycling and Resource Center, um, and then it, it's been very fast-paced ever since. Um, you know, talking about that with people, giving tours, uh, planning for it, um, designing it, sitting in the election meetings for the vendors, um, screening out those vendors, being a part of that process. It's been a, a great experience in the 11 months I've been here. It's absolutely flown by, but the onboarding process here at Rumkey was was exceptional. I'm very excited to be a part of the team. So Logan, tell me a little bit about some fun projects you're working on currently. I know that Rumpke is in the process of constructing a MRF in the Columbus area. Is that something you're involved in? And then also where do you see the company heading in the near term future? Yes, absolutely. So um, the, the project that we're seeing in the media these days is the new MRF. Um, the new MRF is going to be called the Rumkey Recycling and Resource Center. It's going to be located about a mile and a half from our existing property. Um, so we're staying in the very near center of Columbus, Ohio. 
Um, but we are really looking to take it to the next level. And Rumpke has committed to invest over $50 million on this project, which is one of the largest expenditures that they put on a single project, which is, it says a lot, you know, there we're, we also own landfills here at Rumpke, uh, but we take it very seriously that we want recyclables out of the landfill. So uh, being that we process waste for over 36 other counties, we are, we're looking to take it to the next level and allow we're, we're looking to have the MRF of the future. Um, we've partnered with MachineX to design a facility that is that is built to process recycling for the next 20 years. Um, we, we challenged our vendors and during this election process to create a system that can adapt. What can evolve with us? What can evolve with the stream of recycling? What does that mean? Um, really thinking holistically about the waste industry. What do we see happening? What do we see happening to fiber? What do we see happening to cardboard, bottles, cans? Um, I've seen an uptick in UBCs lately. So how do we how are we going to capture those things in the future? Um, you know, some of the challenges we see on a daily basis is contamination, um, battery fires. We see, you know, how do we build a MRF that's going to be perfect for this situation? And, and not just that, but how do we increase our capacity? So right now at our existing facility, um, we still have some capacity, but we're looking to really allow Franklin County to increase the amount that they're recycling. We're looking to, you know, increase from 36 counties to 45. You know, we're, we're wanting to um, cross over into territory that we haven't seen, tonnage numbers that we haven't seen and process more recycling than most of our competitors. So um, this this new facility is gonna be a, a showcase, something that Rumpke's really gonna be proud of. Um, it's gonna be, it's gonna stand alone as one of the most technically advanced recycling facilities in the nation. In reality, there's gonna be more technology with AI being involved, um, you know, less less screens um different different types of separation you know how how do we plan for five eight ten years of evolution in packaging um and you know can we build this MRF so we can we can reinvent the wheel in three years and we need to restructure the place or 10 years when we need to revamp can we build it with enough space so that we're planning ahead so i'm i'm absolutely involved in that it's it's a it's a great opportunity for someone such as myself to to learn how this is done by a world-class company. Um, I'm I'm really enjoying the the time and energy being put in by everyone involved. Um, it really is a, a great opportunity for myself, as I said, um, to to see how a, a MRF is built. And you know, Rumpke is not wanting a MRF that can operate. We're wanting the best and um, I guess that, that speaks to the commitment to divert waste from the landfill. We fully are aware that landfills need to last a, a longer time, right? We want to increase the, the lifespan of the landfill. Um, but we also know that there's value in those commodities that may be going into the landfill. And we're not, we're not interested in putting that in the ground. Um, we, we really want to recycle it, divert it, and, um, by taking the reins and saying we're doing it, um, we're going to be building this MRF. I think it, it shows the, the region what the future is going to look like. Um, there's no turning back. We're wanting to recycle. Um, we're on board. We 
we're absolutely in. Awesome. That's really exciting to just kind of watch a MRF be built as you're just new to the company and new to the industry as well. So I guess, could you expand a little bit on that? What has it been like watching Rumpke build a MRF when you're early in your career? And then also, what technology are you excited to see added to the MRF and or what technology excites you in the industry right now that might be worth investigating? Yeah, I mean, being being that I'm, I'm new newer to the industry, um, I, I do have some experience in you know, designing a MRF and, and thinking about equipment and how to separate material. But, you know, being on the cutting edge of we want to build the best MRF ever, um, that's a that's a huge thing to be a part of. So that experience, as I said, is it's been unmatched. Um, I, I don't really have too many words other than um, what an opportunity. Um, I've, I've, I've come at the right time um, and I'm really excited about my career here at Rumkey. I'm, I'm really excited to, to take the reins and how do I how do I operate this MRF in the best manner possible, the most efficient? How do I think futuristically about this MRF? What am I most excited about? I'm most excited about um, AI. We're going to be putting artificial intelligence in front of our optical scanners and really collecting data on what's going through them. We'll be able to detect a lot more than just um, what commodities we should be firing on. Uh, we want to know what's going in there. Um, I'm excited to not have screens in the plant. Um, we're going to have far less paper screens. So, you know, the MRF that was built five, 10 years ago, was designed to uh, have a lot of rotating shafts and stars. Um, we're looking to do away with that completely and separate material in a different manner um, by using trommels, optics, and ballistics. Um, so that's gonna that's gonna greatly enhance, I guess, less downtime. Right? We're gonna be more efficient. And we're gonna spend less time inside those screens, undoing tanglers such as garden hoses, stretch wrap. Trommels operate a lot differently. Um, having a, a brand new facility with uh, fresh paint is going to be very exciting um, and thinking, how do I protect this thing and get us to operate in a manner that's next level? How do we elevate our standards? But I mean, even I can even talk about the, the front entry. Um, that's super exciting where we're going to be bringing more visitors in. Um, I give tours on a weekly basis. We're going to be walking around the facility a lot more at our current facility. Lot, you know, we're in pro close proximity to equipment. We're wearing hard hats. This new facility is going to have more walkways, right? It's going to, there's going to be a, a mezzanine that's going to walk out for visitors to look at the equipment and to be able to see over top of it. It's not challenging to bring visitors in, um, even handicapped people. Um, you know, we don't have elevators in our existing facility. So how do we increase the access to others and educate? We envision schools coming here for a field trip and getting hands-on with the material. So um, we have some unique partnerships that are going to be working on education and how do we how do we get people involved and wanting to talk about waste. I think we're going to be elevating our ability to educate and get people involved in recycling and waste and thinking about thinking critically about how do I how do I live in my house and not create as much waste, right? Where we're looking to reduce waste as a society. Um, we're looking to think differently. Could our purchasing behavior be different? Could we, could we overall reduce our waste? 
Got it. And thinking just about the future of MRFs, how have MRFs changed since you joined the industry and where do you see the MRF heading in the future? In general, things that have changed, I have seen a, a, a sharp decrease in fiber. COVID has really showed what, what can happen um, when you send everyone home from school and work and um, invest in scanners rather than printing paper. Um, so we, I've seen on the fiber side, sorted office paper drastically decrease, right? So those commodities are in low supply, very high demand. Those mills are, are having to redirect, you know, how we don't have sorted office paper hardly at all anymore. So how, what, what's the, who's going to feed those mills? Um, so, you know, that's occurred. I feel like there's been more water bottles and UBCs in the stream. Um, I don't have any numbers to back that up, but um, I, I know how much UBCs that we, we, we've been selling. And I can, I can tell that the, by canning water now, um, we're canning sparkling water. The White Claw era has taken off. There, there's a lot more canning going on and craft brew craft breweries are canning their their beverages and I see UBCs increasing. Um, I think the, the messaging is pretty clear. Aluminum cans are recyclable. Um, it's a great commodity. Here at Rumpke, we take glass seriously. Um, we, we love glass. We want people recycling glass. Uh, the future's bright. That opinion has changed for myself. You know, I, I saw glass as a challenge. Um, I thought it was a, a, a terrible situation. Um, it's dirty. It cost me a bunch of money. Um, and I've completely changed my tone on that. And I, and I, and I love talking about glass recycling and Rumpke takes a lot of pride in it. We've internalized that we've vertically integrated by having our own glass processor in the state of Ohio. Um, it's located in Dayton. Um, you know, the future is bright with glass. We, we want to recycle glass. Um, we want to get that back into spaghetti jars and pickle jars and, uh, amber, root beer bottles and beer bottles. Um, and then the, the fine material going into insulation and such, you know, there's a lot to talk about and, and what do I see in the future? I think there's going to be a lot more containers. Uh, we're going to continue to see less and less, uh, random fiber, right? Junk mail might disappear. Um, I know paper mills are, are scurrying, trying to figure out what to do, um, cause they need the fiber and, um, I think what else has changed is the industry has been very upfront that we need people to recycle. Um, it's not necessarily, a, it, it shouldn't be seen as a luxury or, a uh, something that's a, you know, a tree hugger thing. Um, it's serious. The industry needs the fiber recycled so that they can continue to produce fiber that is going to be consumed at the rate that Americans consume it. Um, that goes for fiber that goes for plastics. I've seen a huge change in, you know, I'm, I, you know, I think the biggest thing is going from like 2018, having the whole uh, China sword and green fence till now you have special interest groups and stakeholders had to get to the table. Uh, markets are, they were bad. Um, a lot of people were talking about eliminating recycling altogether. And if we are going to move forward in the right direction, we better get to the table fast and start making solutions. And I think, uh, you have, you have consumers demanding more post-consumer content. 
so you have huge commitments from producers saying we will uh, have more recycled content in our water bottles and our, you know, and and all the products we're producing. Um, you have extended producer responsibility taken off everywhere. Um, you have haulers wanting to get involved and in how, you know, how can we, how can we handle this industry better? How can we work with producers? Um, here at Rumpke, we take it very seriously. When we have an opportunity to talk to a, a Wendy's corporation, we bring them in. We want to talk to their packaging department and hear what they what they're working on. How can we help them think critically about ways that their material is going to be processed here? So things are evolving, right? There, it hasn't stopped. Um, it's only increased. I think the future's bright. Um, you know, we're we're going to be one of the only systems in the United States that's going to have a dual container line. Um, that's going to be a huge deal for us. We're we're ready for the future of container heavy recycling. Um, we expect more containers to, to be in the stream. Um, we're looking to broaden what we accept so that we can capture more varieties of different commodities. Um, you know, how do we how do we handle black plastic? How do we handle UBCs differently? Um, you know, the quality control on UBCs is extremely tough. And how do we how do we advance that? So that that's what I see happening. You know. Fiber will continue to evolve. E-commerce will continue to take off. Um, but I, I see a lot more UBCs, PET. Um, I see a lot more containers, less fiber. Got it. And kind of tied to that, what are some big issues that you see impacting the recycling industry today? And do you have any potential solutions on how the industry needs to be approaching these problems? So the, the big issue I see haunting the recycling industry is the lack of a unified message. Um, so just recently, there was another article written about the plastic recycling industry saying plastic re recycling doesn't work and it will never work. I, I, I believe that's a gross oversimplification, um, and it simply does not give credit to the existing infrastructure and diversion that has gone into developing the community recycling programs that we have. And if, if you've been around for the last five years in the recycling industry, it's no secret that smear campaigns have wreaked havoc on the recycling industry. Um, articles stating recyclables end up in landfills or art articles that are highlighting one localized issue um, and then using it to generalize about all recycling programs has really hurt the recycling industry. Those articles, they instill doubt. Um, and when you instill doubt, it, it's a very strong per persuasive tool that's used for clickbait. Um, and, and when you don't have industry knowledge behind those articles or a chance to rebuttal, it can be devastating to the progress that you make. Um, and I, I believe that you hear me loud and clear as a, as a journalist in the industry trying to navigate how do we handle a situation when a when an article comes out that was extremely well written has great click worthiness uh, people want to hear something negative um, and it's often those gotcha moment negative messages that people want to read and it's tough we're an industry that doesn't have a lot of ability or readiness to combat the wall street journal or um you know a, a large group that is that is working to, to get clicks, right? So um, I'm, 
I'm sticking with that the fact of the matter is we have the infrastructure in place to vastly increase diversion efforts. 85% of people support recycling and say it is a good thing. Um, people are with, they believe it's good. Um, and at the same time, we see brands across the board working to increase the recycling content. Um, they're making commitments. And I see this happening at a record pace. I don't, I don't think this is a slow thing. I think this, these are huge uh, standards that they're putting on themselves. And I think there's a, there's a lot of people involved, such as uh, recycling today. In general, there's been heightened awareness from all stakeholders and special interest groups, and there's no hiding the fact that recycling is working. Our messaging is we're ready to go. We're going to invest in a, in a $60, 70000000 million plant, and we want to recycle more recyclables than ever. So you have producers, legislation, municipalities, recyclers, haulers, end users, special interest groups, all working together on the same issue. And it's how do we get our products made with more recycled content and how do we ensure recyclables are diverted and make it back to end users. So in general, 28% um, of PET and HDPE is recycled and polypropylene is on a steady increase. Um, throughout the country. And it's argued that if we, we could easily increase that number to 40, 45% with our existing infrastructure that's in the United States. But that is if we can get the material in the correct bin and collect it. There's, there's no hiding the fact that the material exists. Um, it's out there. It's in people's homes. Um, how do we get it in their bin? How do we get them to recycle it? It's a tough thing to tackle because you have articles and clickbait out there that uh, will will take a one municipality that might landfill a couple loads of recycling and um, they generalize that the whole industry is doing it. It's simply not not the case and it's it's very tough to combat that and um, you know we're left thinking how do we move forward but in general we are needing every consumer and household to recycle and to recycle often and every bottle, box and can needs to be recycled. If we can do the basics right, I think we can continue to increase the commodities that we're putting on the acceptable items list. But I, I know for a fact there's cans and bottles and boxes out there that are going in the trash. And I think that's the biggest issue. Um, we need people to recycle. Here in Ohio, there's a lot of access. Uh, we're, we're, we've got a lot of communities that have that have carts. And I think we're going to, we're going to be pushing to get people to fill those bins this summer. Can you recycle every, every can, every bottle? I, I think uh, when, when we start recycling uh, every day and not just when it's convenient, um, I think the supply will increase and our existing infrastructure will do the talking, but there, there's no doubt that, um, we make a lot of progress. We, we change a lot of things. Things are all going in the right direction. And um, all you need is a couple of articles to come out that really put a bad taste in people's mouth and make them question all of recycling. It's an absolute challenge. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Logan. It's been great having you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.